You know, for a long time, I meant to try Pete's coffee, but just never gave it a chance. But ever since I did, I have a hard time settling on anything less. And there's something to say about a coffee company with such rich history and devotion to bring you that perfect brew. Since Alfred Pete opened his first coffee bar in 1966, Pete's has selectively sourced the finest beans in the world, carefully calibrating each roast by hand and crafting each beverage with the utmost care. Pete's aims to produce fresh from the roaster's coffee delivered directly to your door, sourcing the top 1% of coffee beans, roasted by hand to unlock each bean's potential, and delivering it to you fresh to bring you the perfect cup. With over 30 flavor varieties in both gourmet coffees and teas, like Vietnam Lotus Bold, Major Dickinson's Blend, and Arabian Mocha Java, you are sure to find the right flavor to start your day. And they even come in K-Cups for those of you who live life on the go. Check out all the varieties of Pete's has to offer by following the link in the show notes below. And starting August 30th, you can take advantage of their Labor Day sale and get yourself 20% off anything on their site by using promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout. This offer is valid through September 5th. That's promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase this Labor Day. But why not do one better? Use promo code NEWSUB30 at checkout and you get yourself 30% off of a new subscription to Pete's Coffee. That's right. All the delicious coffee you could want delivered right to your door each and every month without you ever having to worry about running low. What more could you ever need? That's promo code NEWSUB30 for 30% off your subscription. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Grindhouse, where we drink coffee and talk about movies. My name is Leah Diana. Today with my boyfriend and co-host, Sean Tatro, we will be winding back the reels too. 1970. An American expatriate in Rome witnesses an attempted murder that is connected to an ongoing killing spree in the city, and despite himself and his girlfriend being targeted by the killer, he conducts his own investigation in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Let's get into it. I can't get in! I'm Inspector Morosini. I want to know everything you saw and heard. I can't pin it down. There was something wrong with it. Something odd. There is a dangerous maniac at large in this city. Do you really love me? Sure. And just before we closed, we saw that painting that was in the window. Did you make the sale? I know. The poor girl Last night, a blonde, 28, lived alone. The press are beginning to put two and two together. They think they see a link between the four murders. No! 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 
feel that I'm getting closer to the truth every minute. That's why he's trying to kill me. thing is turning into an obsession. Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers. Tell all your grave robbing friends I want them out of the city now! The nightmare of insane murder. From the depths of hell. So I'm quite excited to talk about this one today. I think this one was interesting, but I don't know. It wasn't what I expected. What were you expecting? A little more creepy like Suspiria and the Beyond. Well, this is a more straightforward giallo rather than a supernatural or Suspiria is very like fairy tale like. Mm. This one's a little more grounded. I expected uh, a title like The Bird with the Crystal Plumage to be even more mysterious. But it was still it was still good. We could talk about it. Because that's what we're here for, to talk about it. I mean, our whole thing is that we drink coffee and talk about movies. And would you look at this? We have coffees. We always have coffees. We, we do always have coffees. We actually haven't talked about them in a while. No. Um, I think we stopped We stopped talking about the coffees because we were always drinking the same stuff. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I feel like it gets a little boring if we just keep mentioning the same things mm. without reason. Yeah. But now we actually have a reason. We do. Sean, what are we drinking today? So today we are drinking Pete's Coffee. Um, specifically... The Major Dickinson's Brew, mm -hmm. which is a dark roast that um, boasts a flavorful, robust, and full-bodied flavor. And we're doing, we're talking about it again because very recently, Pete's became one of the sponsors of this podcast. They did! I'm very, very excited for that. We, we actually have a reason to talk about the coffee. Yes. And I never need a reason to drink coffee, but... This actually gave me a reason to go out and try the coffee. Yes. And I have to say, it's it's pretty good. It is pretty good. It's got a very strong, like, in-your-face flavor. It's a dark roast, this one. So if you're not a fan of, like, that very, like, strong coffee flavor, it has, like, almost this, like, caramelized burnt flavor. Burnt's not a bad word. No. But it's very... It's not smooth, it's not smooth. It's not but smooth, it's... but this is a great compliment to a lot of fall flavors you could put into this. I'm sorry. I'm a basic bitch. Pumpkin spice would be delicious in this because that, it would have that caramelly right. notes to it. I think it would. I've always been a bigger fan of dark roast than I am of light roasts. Although dark roasts, fun fact, have less caffeine than a light roast because you're, 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 you're roasting the caffeination out of it, which yeah, I believe. But is a dark roast has that like that coffee 
punch flavor that, that you're nice looking body for. to it, yeah. If you like a nice, strong red wine, you go for a dark roast. If you like a nice white wine, you go for a light roast. If you don't care and you buy Behringer's, you get a medium roast. <laughs> Gets the job done. But this is actually really good. I'm actually drinking out of the tiniest little espresso mugs we have. It says Rise and Grind. I bought these these little espresso cups just for the podcast. And they're cute. And the cat keeps sniffing it. She's like, no, it smells too strong. Get it away. I mean, this one is this one is really good. Yeah. Like, I'm actually very excited to try out some of their other flavors after this. This one was the funniest one. We we did the recording for the promotion stuff or the sponsorship stuff. And you were like, oh, read this one. And I'm like, Major Dickison? What? But it's really good. It's, it's really it's, good. It's this will wake you up in the morning. I agree. I uh, I may have to add this to our, our, rotation? our morning rotation. We've got quite a bit of coffee right now. We're drinking right now in the actual container because we buy whole beans and we grind them. I think we have a butter rich butter or butter crunch. Um, it's it's like butter caramel cream caramel something, something like that and it's our go-to it's not our favorite it is our go-to it's our like if we don't have another specialty blend and we just need some coffee in the house we mm-hmm. get this yes. if they, as long as they have it and then we bought a bunch of random ones we had top of the morning for a while um we always try to find a small business and we never reached for pete's no, and I'm not really sure why. Like, I, it was one I always meant to pick up, mm. and it's one I always meant to try, and I just never did. There was always, like, a different one that I decided to go with. I think we, what we said was because there was no, like, flavor flavors on them, they were all names, we said we were going to research the names, and we're very, I'm very picky about flavors. We've gotten a couple of flavors that we were really excited about. I cannot stand peppermint mocha coffees oh god the peppermint is too too strong i can do like a peppermint tea but it has to be very very subtle like i have a peppermint tea and i literally have to cut the tea bag in half and only put a little bit in my tea steeper with other tea because it's just so strong it's funny because i think it's funny that you bring that up because i think the last time we talked about coffees on the show it was when we tried that the shaw's christmas peppermint coffee oh, and, it was and we wanted f- to vomit i'm <laughs> sorry to shaw's brand like we like shaw's brand coffee we have the one that we go for that our go-to is is a shaw's That's brand a coffee. signature selects brand yep and it's i think they're owned by like are they owned by kroger i think an, a, i know i actually learned that signature is a i'm pretty sure it's a canadian brand yeah which that's kind of interesting. But this Pete's Coffee, man, this uh, this might actually make it into the go-tos. I mean, my go-tos have always been um, Starbucks Sumatra, which is a dark roast. But Starbucks coffees can be a little more expensive, expensive and they can be a little more pricey. This, to me, actually tastes very similar to a dark roast from Starbucks. And I'm pretty sure this is going to be the... Do we have the medium roast? Do we have the Pete's dark roast in the house? I'm going to finish this whole little cup of coffee. I'm going to finish my whole big cup of coffee because it's amazing. Mm. I really just want some pumpkin spice in this right now. Yes, it is August. Shut up. (laughs) 
This one could drink pumpkin spice all year round I if do. given the opportunity. I have 50 tea bags of pumpkin spice tea that I will, I gladly cold brew, I hot brew it. I'll add the tea leaves to baking stuff sometimes where you like, where you like put it in like the something that you're making, like milk or whatever. Or like, yeah, I've done it before. And I, I am, I love fall so much. I lean into apple spice, pumpkin spice, you name it. Uh, Candles in this house are fall themed all year round, except for um, springtime. I got actual springtime candles this year. How dare you? I know. (laughs) Who are you? My perfume is pumpkin spice too, guys. Jesus Christ. No, okay. I should say my, my body spray is pumpkin spice. My perfume is like musky wood and amber or something like that so it's fall themed leave it to me to find the most basic of bitches my hair is blonde (laughs) i wear i wear uh leggings all year round and i love big sweaters i do not own a pair of hugs though thank christ i don't anymore i used to wear knockoff hugs (laughs) um something i'd like to mention to our audience if you actually do want us to talk more about the coffees that we're drinking please tell us please let us know yeah like if that subject actually interests you we like talking about it we actually kind of stopped because we felt like we were boring you yeah so and we were just drinking a lot of the same thing i mean at one point we just life happened and we just didn't have a selection of coffees we've got like three or four in the kitchen right now but now that you know the podcast is getting a little more traction and you know we've got a lot of people reaching out to us we've got a lot of coffees to try and i'm really happy because we've passed by this one in the coffee aisle several times and i'm like we gotta get pete's coffee we gotta try this like we gotta try this there's got to be a reason why there are tons of flavors in here and we never reach for it but no seriously if you guys are looking for a new coffee skip the huge name brand shit go for the smaller brand this pete's coffee is great and i cannot wait to try their other flavors stop buying the fucking duncan whole bean ground coffees that are sitting in the supermarkets listen i uh we're from new england i used to drink duncan every day sean used to work for duncan never again no stop like even my brother the other day was oh did you see pumpkin spices out i'm like yeah he goes did you already drink it i'm like yeah he goes oh you're so basic i was like but they're the only ones that are offering the pumpkin spice in like i would like a pumpkin spice please put it in my hand so i don't have to make it um but after that like obviously we've our diets have gone in a different direction this year and i'm looking into making my own pumpkin spice with less sugar less crap in it and it's so freaking easy and it'll be less sweet and i cannot wait to try this recipe and put it in this lovely little pete's coffee i keep saying lovely because this little thing is literally like a two ounce cup and i love it yeah two ounces it's amazing does the job oh it does oh, <laughs> i need more of this by the, by the afternoon so on that note what do you say we get into the movie for today um, the freaking lovely so today we watched the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which is the directorial debut of Italian director Dario Argento. This was his directorial debut? Yes. 
Um, and this is the film that has been credited with popularizing Italian giallo. And you know, throughout this film, I'm watching it, the the cliche of the Italian film wasn't that bad in it. No. They did a really good job ADRing. But you can easily tell where others were influenced. Yes. This wasn't the first Giallo. I want to make that clear. This was just the one that everybody credits as this is why Giallo became so popular. But I can see why. Like, I I did not know this was his first. Now, I'm sorry, I take back what I say about about Susperia and the Beyond being better. If this was the jumping point then there was only room for him to get better. I thought this was one of his later ones. Okay. Yes. I take it back, Mr. Argento. This is also the first installment in what's called the Animal Trilogy. I read that! Which, uh, so you have Bird with Crystal Plumage, then this this film is followed by The Cat of Nine Tails, or Cat of Nine Tails, and Four Flies on Grey Velvet. And guess what your lovely girlfriend already did? They're already in her Amazon uh, <laughs> basket to purchase. I'm never going to have to buy a Giallo film again. No, because I love them. <laughs> uh, just to note, these are not cheap. Cato Nine Tails is $32 for the Arrow release. Four Flies on Grey Velvet is a shameless entertainment release. It's not an Arrow release. I cannot find the Arrow. No, Arrow hasn't put that one out yet. So I... I don't think. And that one's $28. There's only three left of the Flies and 12 left of the Ninetales. <laughs> and I have to get a bunch of other stuff too. So I'm like, ah, that's like $150. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> so this film was directed by Dario Argento uh, based on a screenplay that he wrote in just five days. Damn. I apologize if I say any of these names wrong, but the film stars Tony Masati or Masanti, Susie Kendall, Enrico Maria Salerno, and Ava Renzi. It was originally released June 24th, 1970 in West Germany. Oh, wow. And I do not have any budgetary information on this one. But I do know for a fact that it was um, nominated for the Edgar Allan Poe Award for Best Motion Picture in 1971. Damn. So I think this one, I think it did. Oh, wait a minute. I do have box office information. Oh. So upon the release of this film, it was a huge box office hit. Oh, yeah. I can tell. It grossed. Wow. For a 70s film? It grossed 1,600,000, no, how do I even read this? There's too many sets of zeros. <laughs> the, oh, it's in lira. So, okay. Uh, okay, that makes so more sense. It, it grossed 1,650,000,000 Italian lira. Jesus. So this was a huge fucking hit. This was a huge hit. Damn. And it's no wonder. This this movie, in so many ways, visually the is spectacular. The story itself is strong. I enjoyed the characters quite a bit. But we're going to discuss all of that. Yes, we are. It's worth noting that before we go too far, the version of the movie that we watched is the Arrow video release. Um, it's a 
gorgeous 4K restoration from Beautiful. the original negative. Yeah. This movie looks fucking incredible. If you don't have this version of the movie, I suggest getting your hands on it. Is this the one with the reversible cover that you put to the other one? Yes. So, it, like most Arrow releases, this comes with a reversible with reversible cover art. So, you get the brand new Arrow art, which is like this image of this beautiful peacock this beautiful like peacock bird um with the, the title splashed over it and then if you flip it over it's like the original or one of the original italian poster arts mm. with the title written in italian and everything and it looks fucking beautiful now i will say purchasing this with the arrow release cover does give you a sense that is going to be more of a supernatural film the Italian original cover makes you feel like it is going to be what it is. Yes. A mystery crime, um, like, murder thing. Yeah. The other one, that's why I thought it was more towards a Suspiria type movie, because it looks mysterious. Yes. But I think since Suspiria, and now that they're releasing all these Italian films, a lot of these production companies that are redoing them are leaning more heavily towards those beautiful colors, that visual. This visually with color is not the same as Suspiria. The colors are not as popped, but it's the storytelling, it's the camera work, it's the framing, and it's the music that does it. Yes. So you can see where he started and then eventually he got to, but the cover for this, for the Arrow release, is very misleading, I will say that. Honestly, I think the cover kind of just plays right into the title itself, Mm. which, spoiling a little bit ahead, is like, the movie's called Bird with a Crystal Plumage, and you really don't ever, you see the bird itself once in the entire movie, it's very close to the end. it becomes a huge part of what solves the crime. Yes, but and but you also never see its crystal It's crystal feathers. plumage, yeah. They never show it. They only talk about it briefly. And I think that's because the bird in question, the species of bird they're talking about, doesn't actually exist. Yeah, that's what, true. What they used was a type of crane, I believe, in the like one or two shots that it's in in the movie. Yes, the... Hornetus navalis isn't an actual species of bird. It's the one seen in the movie is a gray-crowned crane. Yeah, I was going to say, that definitely doesn't look like... Because they said, oh, it's the type of bird where if the sun hits it just right, the feathers look like glass. And I'm like, what What kind of bullshit you spout? Yeah, it's, it's made up for the movie. And so it makes sense why they didn't show it. Mm. I personally think that was a good choice like they didn't try to make like a fake bird feather yeah thing like i think it worked it was fine but it's interesting that the movie is named after this thing that you never really get to see yeah by the way have you seen the i believe it's the original poster art for this movie is it this no 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 let me go back then I was just looking at alternative art for it. It's actually the... If you go on IMDb, it's the main image for the film. On IMDb? Yeah. Oh, that red? I fucking love that poster. I want that poster so bad. Oh, and look at the bird at the bottom. It's a bird, but it's it's knives as the plumage. Yeah. 
it's that poster is so simply designed so if you've never seen it um then you want to look it up basically what i'm looking at here is it's the image of one of the characters female characters in the movie and she's up against like glass the, that image is washed in red and the poster itself is white um the killer's hand with a knife is right beneath her and it, the title of the movie is in a little black box at the bottom it's it's very hard not mm. to find this one but i've always loved simplicity in movie posters these days the movie posters we get are so fucking overly complicated and it's usually just like a tower of people oh you mean every marvel avengers movie exactly and i don't know i i much prefer this type of poster it's just it's simple it's elegant it's gorgeous i don't know i can't put it any other way you like very simple traditional kind of i'm not traditional you like simple classic like the original poster for halloween yes yep the original poster for friday the 13th the original ideas are honestly sometimes always the best the redos are beautiful and up to date and nice but there is something about that nostalgic original poster like house that we watched we watched that last yeah that was last week right house house was no it was the week before because last week was the abomination that i want to burn oh ticks (laughs) but the poster for house the original poster is just fucking psychedelically cool and it goes with the movie yeah the poster that they made was just kind of off of an image of that white cat getting angry. Yeah, and you yeah, see it yeah. once in the movie, and I'm like, that's a cool image, but that fucking house with the tongue that leads you, that's cooler, in my opinion. I don't know, Agreed. I'm starting to, starting to lean with you on these, these movie posters here. Don't even get me started on, like, hand-painted posters. Oh. Like, that's essentially what the cover of this Arrow release is. Mm, it's is hand-painted. Hand-painted image of one of the victims and the killer's hands and it's fucking beautiful like you can't beat that like any photoshop job is gonna pale in comparison to that at least in my opinion so when we finally have our own big house are we gonna paint and then hang posters or are we just wallpapering with posters (laughs) no you always paint and hang the posters either that or you have some a professional come in and paint the poster on the fucking wall. Ooh. How much is that going to cost? Because it's going to get expensive, but it's going to be cool. That would be a lot. But it would be fucking awesome. It would be. And as you were saying earlier, like, Argento's patented, like, vibrant color palette is on full display in this one. Mm. It's not as sharp. But you can see it's he's starting to get a foothold of what kind of director he is. No, but it's interesting that it was always there. Mm. From the very start of his career, he was very interested in making his the color of his movies explode off the screen. One thing that I really did love is a lot of the other scenes, like the the artist's house that we went to and the apartment, everything was very vibrant and colorful. But the art gallery was beige, brown, black, and white. There was very little color in that art gallery, which I think was 
a great idea. Like, yes, this is an art gallery, but what you're watching is a piece of art. Yeah, for sure. And he he actually some of my notes here have to do with like the fact that like he has an affinity for utilizing gorgeous architecture throughout all of his movies. Yep. Um, the example I put here was that that triangular stairwell that he slashes that woman to death in. Yeah. That's incredible. The he like he has an obsession with visuals and he he's always placing his characters in interesting settings like like the art gallery that Monica is attacked in and the museum of birds that we briefly see at the beginning um and the there's a scene where they're in this it's like an imaging room or like an audio Oh yeah, forensics room. He's analyzing the fingerprints on the gloves, yeah. And they're talking they're just having a conversation around a table, but like the background is all these spinning reels. Yep. And it's just very visually interesting to look at. Nothing in this <gasps> Excuse me. Nothing in this film, like you don't get bored with watching it. Like there's always something to look for. I bet you every single viewing of this film you will find something new to look at. Oh, I'm sure. Like, and I will say this, Argento is very tasteful with nudity. There is nudity in this. It is very shrouded, and it is shrouded in color. Yeah. She had this, like, one of the victims had one of these, like, very, like, chemise kind of see-through outfit on, but it was so tasteful where he had placed it, and there was nudity. Like, it was, the that, that scene was very graphic, because... I don't know whether he plunged the knife into her genitals. I'm not sure. See, that's the thing. Like, he kind of leaves that to your imagination. Honestly, that feels like what he did. Like, he cut up her sternum. You saw him slash her sternum, but not deep enough to hurt her. And then I think he attacked her. They attacked her. Her genitals. I'm not sure, but the way that went was very... That's kind of what made me second guess who the murderer was. Because okay. they were very delicate, soft, and took their time. Well, that's it's kind of interesting because uh, Argento has always had a he always puts an emphasis on the violence and the brutality and like the perversion of murder. Yeah, and I, I kind of have to say that he's fairly tame in this one. Maybe because it was his first go-around, but... It's still very effective. It's still very brutal and very personal. And even though, like, in later films, you'll start to see him, like, really showing you, like, the every slash and stab. But in this one, it, it still feels like you're seeing it, even though you're yeah. not. I very much... I don't know, I very much enjoyed the kill scenes, especially in this one. Well, why don't we get into the movie? And I know you have more fun facts, but we can kind of pepper them through the the film. So this one was my pick because I had really liked watching The Beyond, which we haven't done. Suspiria, which we have not done. But Pieces was one of the real kind of first Giallo ones. It was our second episode. Yep. And then we did another Giallo film. 
or giallo style film recently right yes yeah pieces is not the only one we did oh we did um this is what happens when you get to 39 movies that we've watched we now have to bring up the calendar (laughs) we did one in like Death Carries a Cane. Death Carries a Cane, yes. And that was a very Giallo-esque type of film, too. I don't remember where I was going with this. You edit and post. Um, so this one, because it was my pick, but this one, I really, when I mentioned this one was on sale on Amazon, you got very excited. So I was like, okay, I gotta buy this one. Well, because I, I know that this was Argento's first movie, and... It's one of the few I hadn't seen, mm. and I don't know why. Like, I feel like this is one that I just kept meaning to watch and never got a chance to. Yeah. And when you were like, yeah, uh, I bought this one, or I'm buying this one, I I was like, please, God, give me the reason <laughs> to watch this movie, because I've been meaning to for fucking decades. So just out of sheer curiosity, I am looking up. Dario Argento films. Oh, okay. Do you have the other alternative title to this? I do not. Not in front of me. So, the English title is The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Yes. The other title is called The Gallery Murders. Okay. That makes sense. I like Bird with the Crystal Plumage because of the meaning that it has beyond it. Yeah. This man did so many... He did a movie called Zombi- Zombie? He was Dawn in- of the Dead? Wait, what? So, uh, he was involved in that, I know. For uh, sure. European cut. Okay, I got really excited. Ooh, Inferno. Yep, Inferno is one of his opera. Um, Tenembra. Tenembra is one of the other ones that just came we out. We have so many to go through of Argento. Phenomenia, which is alternative called Creeper. Yep. Demoni, which is Demon. Yep. The Church. He has a lot. Lots and lots. Trauma. This man is still alive. Yeah. And just finished a new movie called Dark Glasses. Yep, and I'm dying to fucking see it. Vortex. Wait, he... He was involved with the new Suspiria? Yeah. He produced it, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay. And then Dario Gento just made a movie called Giallo yeah. in 2009. Yeah, with Adrian Brody. Oh, wow. Adrian Brody was a uh, piano, right? Pianist, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Every time I hear pianist, I think the pian- penis. <laughs> I've never seen the movie either. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I have the VHS of that. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I don't see any reason to watch that. No. I, I'm very excited to one day try and get this man's entire catalog. Oh, we're going to have his whole catalog. I love his movies way too much to not own them all. Wow. He has several trilogies. There's this trilogy. There's Three Mothers trilogy. Suspiria is part of a trilogy. The Three Mothers trilogy consists of Suspiria, Inferno, and The Mother's Tears. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. See, but the thing is, most of these aren't meant to be trilogies. People just 
start to equate them as trilogies throughout the years because they have similar themes. Kind of connect them, yeah. It's the same way that uh, supposedly Carpenter has his Apocalypse trilogy, which is not actually a trilogy of movies. It's just um, The Thing, uh, Prince of Darkness, and what the... In the Mouth of Madness. Those three, they all have to do with like the end of the world in some way. Yeah. And they're not actually connected. The people are just like, yeah, that's the Apocalypse trilogy. And John Carpenter's like, give me money. Yeah. John Carpenter's just like, call it whatever you want. Just put the paychecks in my hand. I want money in the right, <laughs> cigarettes in the left. I'll be here. Honestly. Coffee in the IV drip. Yep. <laughs> Let's you know, go. You know what, Mr. Carpenter? Do whatever you want. You've contributed your legacy to film. You can be as much of an asshole as you feel like it. Just if Sean ever meets you and you hurt his feelings, I will break your teeth. <laughs> Just saying. I doubt he would be outwardly a dick for no reason. <laughs> I would have to give him a reason. I'll look at him and say that his his movies are trash. He'd be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, which ones? I might agree with you. <laughs> All right, I think we should get into the meat of of this film. So well, let's do it. I tried to do a play by play of this. Um, was not very successful. So hopefully, Sean can help me with this. So we open on a man walking down the street. We don't know who the man is, and he's walking past the win- the front window of a gallery. And as he's looking in, he sees a woman struggling with a man with gloves and a hat. There is, there are a few things before this moment, I don't but it's nothing super relevant. We essentially get introduced to the main character, um, and I already forgot his name. I don't remember his name either. But he... Essentially, this movie has this a similar plot to most Giallo films. Mm. It centers on a civilian getting wrapped up in a murder mystery plot. A foreigner. And like you said, he he stumbles upon a woman being a, attacked. Being murdered, or being attacked. attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he kind of gets closer to the gallery to see what's going on. Um, once he gets into like this alcove or foyer in the gallery, he tries to open the door. The attacker stabs the woman. She's going down the stairs trying to get to the get to the door. Whoever it is shuts the gallery completely and locks the dude in. So now this guy is stuck between two pieces of plate glass. He cannot get out watching this woman die. And that's something like even early on in his career, Argento presents us with these incredibly strong situational tension yeah. moments. So like this is this scene is the perfect example. So you have your protagonist, he's witnessing a woman being stabbed, then he gets like you said trapped between these two sets of glass doors and he's trying to help her, but he's having to watch her essentially bleed out yep. and it's also setting him up as a suspect. Yeah, because, like, oh, who's to say she didn't... Like, the the policeman says, who's to say that you didn't stab her and she trapped you in there to keep you there. But, as you kind of notice, like, she's too far away from the controls and that's where 
once, you know, this guy, well, this guy tries to get a hold of people and finally gets somebody, says, call the police, get them here. And he points to the woman and she's, she's not dead. She's still kind of moving. So she's unconscious. Um, they get the police there. They try to get the doors open. And the, even the policeman is like, the controls are way too far away. So it was not her that stopped it. Yeah. Um, and then you find out that the policemen are suspicious of him, but they're more suspicious of you saw more than you know. We're just going to keep drilling you until you can figure out if you saw the face. Right. Which you can see throughout the film, like, he's not a suspect to the murder. They're just keeping around because this is the fourth murder in this city that they're trying to solve this because people are getting nervous um and it seems like young beautiful women are the targets of this yeah and that's an interesting fact too is like i really like that that we come into this story with a crime spree already in progress yeah so like our protagonist doesn't get involved until there there's already been three murders at this point yeah it's because he was the only witness that night and possibly the only person who has been able to see this person's face. Um, they take his passport. They pretty much say, because he's supposed to be moving in like a couple of days, they say, nope, we need you to stay here. He's like, you could have asked me. You didn't have to take my passport. I would have cooperated. Um, you find out through this series of stuff, like he tries to go on with his day. He has a very beautiful British... Uh, girlfriend back at home and all of a sudden you're already thinking uh oh she's pretty she's going die um and how the movie goes is I don't have a lot of like step by step but now you're going to him getting involved with the police and getting involved with the solving of the crime because he feels like there are small things that the police aren't doing such as he goes deeper into the cases with his girlfriend and finds that one of the girls was killed who was killed worked at a, another gallery and he goes there and he's like oh what was the last thing that she sold and it's this very abstract painting of a woman being murdered in a field and it is honestly I'm like oh okay it doesn't seem that big of a deal but once you see the whole painting and its actual vivid colors, it's very kind of unnerving and disturbing. Yeah. Um, something to mention, which you kind of talked about already, like like most Giallo films, this one is done in that Italian style of filmmaking where mm-hmm. every actor speaks their native language and then they just kind of dub it all over. Mm-hmm. Um. Like you said, it's not as noticeable in this one, but no. it is still there. And I think the reason it's not as noticeable is because our protagonist speaks English. And instead of... So this is my... It, my favorite thing about Giallo films that I know so far is if you are Italian, you are German, you are American. When we are filming, you speak your native languages. So it feels more cohesive. It makes sense. It feels more cohesive. You know exactly what they're saying because you have the translation. But because they're speaking German, it feels more fluid. It feels more natural for them. So if it's a scene where it's like, you are angry at this person, you get angry in your language, you get angry in your language. And the passion and the drive and that tenacity of the actual scene is there. Yeah, you, you don't have to focused on saying the wrong, the right words. Yes. You'll just be... But in this, in ADR, he has the German and the Italian speak English. So they are saying their English lines 
and and they're learning there with someone so they're not on the spot having to do it they can go back and be like okay that passion that you had there this is the line you're saying you just have to say it over it and that's where giallo films are unique because you can see them mouthing a different language saying different words but they understand because they were in the moment saying it when they go into ADR to do the dubbing they use the original actors that's why a lot of and you've kind of gotten out of it and I'm sort of kind of gotten out of it but anime anime dubs are like synonymous with being terrible yeah because you have these people who are like okay here's the English lines here's the scene go but you don't have the passion behind what it was in that native language so it doesn't translate as well right it always seems cheesy yes giallo did it right i wish a lot of anime dubs would take note from these movies on how passionate it is you have to kind of understand what you're doing and i'm not saying all dubs are bad there are some dubs that are great um flco fully cooly that dub is amazing i will say that till i'm blue in the face if you ever want to watch a good anime that's dubbed and subbed fully cooly is great well, the prime example is Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Because most people can't watch that in its original language. Because I think it was most mostly due to the fact that a lot of the voices are done by women and they sound like really high pitched and screamy. So like you watch it in, in English and the voices are deeper, they're like masculine male characters. So it kind of it fits better. Vegeta. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's all that came to mind is Dragon Ball Z abridged. I lost it oh, all. Oh, God. <laughs> but, but yeah, you're right. Is Americans see Goku in Saiyan form and he's this bigger. You're thinking the rock's coming out of there. Not this adorable little five foot two Japanese woman who these women do great voice acting work. <laughs> But some people, and I know some people who are like, oh, that's not the voice that should come out of Goku. Well, that's just an American thing. Americans have this huge thing on masculine and feminine. Like, other countries don't. Like, well, it didn't it's ha- not a big deal. It didn't help that they they had the, the woman do the voice for him in Dragon Ball because he was a kid. Yeah. But then they just hired the same person to do his voice as an adult, and it made no sense. Honestly, it makes perfect sense, because it's the same voice. She just has it quieter, more childlike in one, and then older in another. I mean, I pretty much, like, adored and loved anime at one point in my life. I yeah. Unfortunately, I've gotten out of it. Just It was one of those things where I just I haven't seen a good one in such a long time. I don't remember the last really good anime that, like, I think it was one that my friend Griswold showed me. Um, it was School Live, which was these four girls surviving in a high school during a zombie apocalypse. You sure that's not High School of the Dead? No. Nope. It's School Live. There's another one? There's... You don't want to know how many of these fucking shows there are. Hang on. Jesus. I gotta find it. High School uh, of the Dead was the only one that... I ever watched because it was fan fucking service. No, that yeah, it was, but that's not why I watched it. I started reading that manga at one point, like before anybody else mm. I knew had ever heard of it. 
and I suggested it to uh, my friend EJ at the time. I was like, dude, you should check this out. It's a, it's basically a zombie movie, but in anime form. And he was like, oh, really? And then they came out with the anime, and it was just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I just sent it to you. It's School Live. Uh, the synopsis is... Where the premise? Why are we talking about anime? Just shut up. <sighs> Yuki is a cheerful schoolgirl who, among her friends, um, Ibi, Yuri, and Miki, is a school member of a private, private high school's, school's school living club. Um... As Yuki seeks out fun school activities every day while living at school, the other girls work to keep safe because in reality, they are the sole survivors of their school in a zombie outbreak that overran their city. And let me tell you, this was... What year was this? There's a live-action adaptation. I gotta call a couple people. Oh, God. Uh, This came out in 2015, so that's when I watched it. Yeah. And let me tell you, it was the one time that an anime made me cry in a long time. Oh, Jesus. Because they have this cute little dog. Cute little puppy. This tiny little Shiba. And the Shiba Inu gets lost and gets infected. And the girls have to kill the dog. You realize I have to cut out this entire section of this. Why? Why do you have to cut it out? Why? Because it has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Yeah, why did I start on this? Oh. You went from dubbing to... But... The dub, the the dub of this, I never saw, but I heard it was okay. And I've, um, one of the reasons why we did the third episode that we did, which was Sex and Fury, was because I saw it, saw it at Otakon. And I've been to Otakon. I'm an anime fan. I have seen a shit ton of dubs, subs, you name it. I've seen it. I prefer subs because I like. I watch K dramas. I watch. Taiwanese, Chinese, Mandarin, Thai stuff. So to me, it's easier. I can't handle dubs sometimes. Jallos, not a problem. So he gets involved with the police in trying to solve this murder. Or murders. Um, And the synopsis for it is like the premise, the plot. It's very, very simple. I can go over the plot like this. It's... But the step-by-step is more a visual step-by-step. This is a visual film. We could talk about the plot probably in 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, it, it's worth noting. So after the police let him go, mm-hmm. he's he goes home to his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He kind of fills her in on what happened. I think she thinks he's joking. At first? Yeah, because she's trying to get in his pants the whole time. Yeah, it, which is, is kind of a, a little bit of a funny scene because he's, she's, like, starting to kiss on him and everything. Oh, and, she's naked and, and he's just kind of, like, he's, flashbacking. All like, thinking about is the murder <laughs> or the the attack, rather, because she doesn't like die. there's, like, scenes that weren't theatrically Reese because... They go from kissing and kind of macking on each other to, like, completely naked under a sheet. But he's still having images of, like, this... And I'm like, are you getting off from the sex? Or is this all you can think about because you just saw the murder? Like, Well, this is the beginning of his obsession. Mm. And I think it was an interesting way to do it. Because throughout the entire movie where... It becomes a motif where he's constantly thinking back to that night and 
replaying the like small moments of it mm. at a time because he's focusing and trying to remember the details to see what he's missing. Yeah. So because it, he knows, he even says it. He goes, "I'm missing something. There is something about this that I'm missing. What am I missing?" And he says it several times throughout the whole uh, throughout the whole movie. Even the inspector is like, "I agree with you. You're missing something. You have to think about it." And it wasn't really until I would say the was that the second or the no the third murder that we see. It would have been the sixth overall, but it was the third murder where she was in the bed and he like slashes her genitals. Mm. Um, that's when I realized I'm like, oh wait, wait, yeah something's two and two ain't making four like even i was a little intrigued as to where is this going the killer of this movie is standard giallo yes black glove leather clad killer black hat black hat works in the shadows even when it's bright out they're always in the shadows something argento does in this movie that i found very interesting was we spend a significant amount of time behind the killer's eyes. Yeah. So we're watching as he chooses and stalks his victims. Uh, he's taking photos of them from a distance. But it's not just the killer's eyes. There are small moments where we see through other characters' eyes. Mm. So like the girl that gets slashed in the bed. Yes. We jump into her point of view as she turns off the light at one point, like right before the attack. Towards the end, we are in the main character's point of view as he's like going through that dark room. It's, I don't know why he's doing it, but it's a very interesting choice. Yeah. I understand putting us in the killer's POV, but not so much all these other ones. Um, I feel like it's trying to get different angles in the movie, like... Because at one point, you're like, oh, no, it's definitely that person. But then you're like, wait, could it be? There's, I think, personally, there's five or six suspects that this could be. But it doesn't, you don't end up, like, figuring out, like, who it is until the last minute. Because I think they do a really good, like, red herring on you with this. And I think that they're giving you different views of different people you might be suspecting. So, yes, you're going through the real killer's eyes, but I also think maybe you're going through the people that you're also suspecting, too, as well. Apparently, our protagonist here, uh, Tony Masanti, mm. I guess he was a very intense actor. Really? From what I'm seeing here, uh, it's allegedly he would frequently show up at Argento's apartment at three in the morning to discuss characterization. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Which Argento found very annoying. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that seems about right. Why are you showing up at the man's house at 3 a.m.? I know that that is a thing for a lot of actors, not just showing up at people's houses, but getting so enveloped in the 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 character and the performance mm. that they want to know every detail. So, like, they'll constantly call the director in the off hours or, like, even during pre-production, they'll yeah. be, like, calling the director and, like, just wanting to talk about the character and ask, like, stupid little things like, wow, what kind of a tea does he drink in the evenings? Because it'll help them get into their headspace. And I understand that. But imagine tr- being in Argento's shoes and trying to put together a full movie and constantly having to deal with that. <laughs> Yikes, my man. Let's uh let's go easy on the uh on the crazy director here. <laughs> like I I think Argento is a smart director, but like don't be an asshole. <laughs> like what's wrong with you? No, it's it's honestly something you just have to deal with with some actors sometimes. Is that what they mean by actors are difficult and thorough and stuff like that? It, they can be. Yes. The actors aren't all like this by any means. I've worked with many, and they're not no not all here. like this. Some of them, there are a few. Every now and then, you come across ones that are just impossible, or they they are very particular about things, and things have to be done a certain way. Or <laughs> generally, those are method actors. <laughs> we definitely have to talk about the film score. Yes. I I actually noticed the score this time. Oh my god. <laughs> what did I tell you about Trolls 2? Never gonna stop. Never gonna stop me. Never gonna stop. <laughs> now we're gonna get copyright flagged. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what I was singing. I smell bullshit. <laughs> no, you smell coffee. I thought the score for this movie was very unique. Yes. Um, it almost feels like it consists of like jazzy club music at times. Right? But it also, it features sounds of like women's moaning and breathing mixed in. All right. I didn't notice that. I did at certain certain times. Like usually it was during um, like chase or follow sequences. I think... Uh, the girl that gets slashed to death in her bed. Oh, genital lady. Yes. She, so like there's a scene where she's like walking home through the park and like you're very much witnessing it through the killer's eyes. Mm. And it's got this like jazzy like drums and stuff over it. Mm. But very subtly, it's like at the perfect moments, you'll hear like, like women, a woman breathing or the like a little bit of like a like moan type of thing. I didn't notice that. Oh, and it's not like a necessarily a sexual moan. No, it's like, probably a death thing. Yeah, or like it's like a panic yes. moan, but it's really subtly put in there, and it's very cool. Well, I didn't notice that. That's uh, 
That's rough for me. Usually I notice shit like that. (laughs) The one thing I noticed about this, the main character, is during the whole thing in the beginning where the police take him there and they possibly are either accusing him or want him to know or want him to figure out more, he was way too chill being stuck in the plate glass he just sat there and was like well there's a lady dying and i'm just gonna sit here he wasn't freaking out he was very calm and then at the police station he was very calm i was like is this guy the killer well you kind of have to look at that as the way acting was done at the time yeah because like nowadays things are much more real and raw yeah when it comes to like perform like panic performances and stuff Mm. so you'll see characters like like viscerally breaking down in movies now where like if they're witnessing a murder they're like distraught as all hell yeah back then it wasn't really done that way like people didn't throw that much into a performance because it is physically taxing and like you'd mostly if if at all see that from female actresses yeah so like men were were much more stoic and you also have to take into account that he he was a former patriot i guess like that's not really said in the movie i don't think it says expatriate in the synopsis which what is that really actually supposed to mean expatriate i I don't know because in the movie he's a writer and that's all i really got was that he he wrote a book that is hmm. apparently popular and hasn't written in a while. Oh. The definition is a person who lives outside of their native country. Oh, okay. So he's just an American. Yeah. All right. So that really doesn't have to do with... Settles oneself abroad. Okay. So it's not a negative connotation. No. An individual living or working in a country other than their country of citizenship, often temporary for work. Oh, so he was working there. He even says that he was working there a few times. Okay. Well, See, you- being in America now, in this day and age, you hear expatriate and all you're thinking of is bad negative stuff. Well, no, you hear expatriate, at least for me, and it it... it basically, you think of, oh, he's a former soldier or something yeah. like that. Not... That he's just an American living somewhere else. Yeah, like, oh, you're an expatriate. No, I'm not. I love my country. Like, that's not what we mean. Like, I... But that shows that that's something I never learned. I never knew what that meant. But I've also never been abroad. Well, because living in this country, the word patriot always... Has such a strong meaning, and it's like... You're either talking about football or military, <laughs> generally. Yeah. Oh, I'm an expatriate. Oh, you're not a you're not a patriot fan. <laughs> hint, hint. We don't like football in this house. We don't like any sports ball uh, in this house. I don't do sports. The only sport I'd be interested in is hockey, and that's because Canada. You know, <laughs> that is it. The only time I'm interested in sports is when I'm watching a sports movie. Even then, like I love Sean Astin. You're not catching me fucking watching Rudy. There's no point to me watching Rudy. I liked in a league of their own when I was a kid. Not watching it. Nope. Kind of silly. Nah, I don't generally gravitate towards sports movies or anything, but like I'll watch ones that I hear are really good. The Mighty Ducks. There you go. It was hockey too. That's the only one I care about. <laughs> so I do want to talk about one of the scenes um, where he's leaving the police station. He's going back home. 
and it's so foggy outside. Oh, that was a good scene. I loved the choice of using the atmosphere and the kind of elements to shroud the killer. So you're not sure if he's being followed or not, but it's just weird and foggy. And I don't know. I really like that scene, too. Um, I agree. That was a, visually, it was just a really good looking scene. Now, at that point, when when that scene happens, the dude tries to attack him with a meat cleaver. Yeah. Or the or the killer tries to attack him with a meat cleaver. A woman sees it. Wouldn't the two of you go to the police station and be like, hey, this just happened. If there was any suspicion about him being the killer, you have a witness. The two of you could have gone to the police station and be like, okay, oh, I witnessed him being attacked, cleared of all suspicions, but... I don't know. I just thought that was silly in the beginning when I thought they were still suspicious. Words. I thought it was silly when they were still suspicious of him being the killer. Yeah. That he didn't go to the police immediately. And even one of the characters said, well, did you go to the cops with her? No. Why? Why wouldn't you have? I was like, see, thank you. One of these characters is smart and makes fucking sense. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, and he goes back home and he has sex with his wife, his girlfriend again. Because I have a note after that going, did they just bang again? There's a lot of banging in this movie. Yeah, but it's all off screen. It is. It's all off screen. I want to see some boobs. Argento promised me boobs. Wrong director. He's more focused on the plot and what matters. Hey, you can visually make a pair of tits look real good. You can. He doesn't need to, though. His stories are strong enough without them. I don't know. Too many directors rely too heavily on nude scenes. I have no complaints over here in this corner of the oh, house. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that brings me to my next line. Right, bring in the perverts. <laughs> <laughs> so the cops, uh, the next scene is the cops bring him there and have all of these people line up. Um, and all these people are sus- are suspects in the case, but they have their own issues that they're dealing with. And it's kind of funny that They're going through each one, and they all kind of fit the profile. But then there's a really nasty jab at transsexuals that I'm like, oh. Different time. They're like, oh, bring in Ursula. And Ursula is a cross-dresser. And the cop says, oh, he's supposed to be with the transsexuals, not in this group. And Ursula's like, well, I would hope so. I'm not with these people. And I'm just like, this movie is 52 years old. It was 52 years ago. It is a different time, but this movie's a little triggering if you don't like any of that shit. I'm the one in the corner saying, hey, this one's not very good. You know, if you have a little trauma, it's okay. But other than that, you know, murdering women's fine. I'm a woman. (laughs) I can say that. Um, And then we jump into, and this is where I kind of like lose it. I have more comments than... I have, now he's solving the case, where are the police? So my problem with this is not with the actual film, it's with the the plot. But this happens in a lot of Giallo films. Where the, the, the normie or the normal person is now doing the job of the police. Yes. Which to me is like, great, now you're just making it seem, now you're just making it solidified that these police are... Not have no idea what they're doing. They're not looking at the right people. They're not looking in the right places. But that's that's the thing. Like that's part of the whole giallo shtick. Is like you You can't trust people. You always have this 
civilian who's solving a mystery mm. like and the cops are always second nature to the story that's always how it's been mm. in basically every giallo you're gonna see it's that yeah. that is what is happening and it's not a bad thing like i kind of think it's an interesting way to do it mm. it's different like now in america a lot of the movies you see it's like the cop is like the protagonist yeah and he's fo- solving the mystery on his own and the rest of the or police the station cop. like yeah. somebody like oh you should be on suspension your badge well, should be removed or it's like a detective yeah this is in giallo it's always just some guy who has nothing to do with law enforcement that happened to stumble upon this either recklessly or non-recklessly, which that's fine, but you know, I like the fact that Giallo paints like, this is a normal person doing this job. Yeah. Um, I, that's where I was like, why didn't the police seem to why didn't the police think about looking deeper into where the first murdered girl worked? How did he come to the conclusion like, oh, I want to go visit that shop? Well, I kind of think the the idea of making your protagonist someone who's not generally involved in law enforcement or mm. um, even investigation is it offers a different perspective. So, mm. like, where your standard cop might follow the guidelines and go by the book and this is how you do an investigation – a character that has doesn't usually do this type of stuff might have a different perspective and might have different ideas on how to solve a mystery. Mm. So I think that's kind of what they're what Argento is emphasizing here is that an outside perspective might offer different outcomes, different True. ideas, different like cue in on different context clues. All right. At least that's what I take away from it. Yeah. So after him trying to solve the case, he goes down to the shop where the first murdered girl worked. He finds the last thing that was sold was that creepy painting. He gets a copy of it, brings it home, and puts it on the wall. And when his girlfriend comes home, like, that night, she reacts very negatively to this painting. And I mean, it is very disturbing. It's a very graphic painting of a man murdering a woman in a field. And by the way, they do an incredible fucking transition in this scene where they zoom into the black and white copy and then it fades very slowly to this deep color of this huge painting in an office. I was like, oh, it was awesome. It goes from what did, what am I looking at? Like, you're kind of looking at it. You're like, what am I seeing? And as the colors start popping in, you're like, oh, oh, that's weird. That is a strange painting. Why would you paint that? But it's done in the style of, um, you know, when you look at a lot of Dutch paintings or like the paintings on Dutch clogs, where it's that bright colored tulips and fields and hat. That's what the painting is to me. And I was like, it's very happy and bright and peaceful. And then there's just a dude murdering someone in the corner. Like, what the fuck? And after that, um, we see... We're in the killer's office where that painting is. Um, and the killer starts going through a file of this beautiful woman. And you see him like looking at pictures and stuff. And then you see them transition to following this person home and killing them. 
And this is where my comment... Damn. They just murdered the panties off of her. Ah. Because he slashes her panties or rips them off. I don't know what he does, but that was my... That was my joke. So then in the morning, the cops tell him there's been another murder. Here's the person. Blah, 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 blah. All that good shit. Um, Then... I don't know if it's that. And then we cut to uh, the protagonist and the girlfriend out on the town. And there's a man following them. And the woman gets nervous and says, nope, that's just the police bodyguard. He's here to protect us. Don't worry about him. No problems with that. And then a car runs him down and kills him. Like, what? Yeah, which begins this intense chase through the city. Um where our protagonist is being pursued by a man in a yellow jacket, a bright yellow jacket with a gun. Um, And this chase goes through like a bus terminal or not terminal, but like a bus where they park buses. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Like a bus graveyard or some shit like that. Yeah. And then it goes, spills out onto like the streets where he kind of gets to, safety where like people will uh, where I think it's like just a bunch of people standing around and he's like hey there's a man with a gun chasing me and they're like what we don't see anybody and he points him out and the guy kind of like tucks the gun away and starts walking the other direction. He has a bright yellow coat on with the letters B C on it. Yes and so our protagonist starts to follow him and he follows him into I believe it's like a hotel and somebody tells him, the bellhop tells him that, oh, yeah, that guy went into that room. Hmm. So he goes into that room and it's filled with people wearing these bright yellow jackets. Yeah, it's like a motorist convention or a boxing convention. Yeah, they're uh, former heavyweight champions. That's what They say that at one point. Damn. And so he essentially loses track of the guy. Yeah. And it's weird because I'm, I put a note, I'm like, oh. Hey, BC, what does that mean? What does that stand for? What is this? And I'm at, at the end of the movie, I'm like, oh, it was a red herring. He probably killed the person with that coat to hide. Never mind. To answer your question, boxing commission. <laughs> boxing commission! Oh. I don't know that for a fact, but I assume. But it makes sense. Yeah. So after the scene where he runs into the boxing commission people or, you know, heavyweight champions, we don't know. Um, we are in the killer's eyes yet again, and we are following what seems to be a younger woman. Like, I don't know if maybe she's in her early 20s, late teens, but we follow her into this very beautiful apartment building. Um, and she's going into an elevator and the murderer straight attacks her with a razor, a straight razor. It's kind of funny. This scene, she, this we have no idea who this woman is. Nope. It's kind of random. Like, it is it doesn't very random. Really go with the rest of the movie. It's no. just they were like, "Oh, we need another kill in here." <laughs> like the other one made sense because he had photos of her and a folder on her and like more information. This one seemed like a random act of senseless violence. Not like all of them aren't random acts of senseless violence, but this one seemed a little more like. Like cold less this one methodical was, yeah this one wasn't calculated which maybe it was and we were just like meant to assume like he did the same thing with this girl yeah i would have liked at least maybe a photo or a little bit more stalking rather than this even the opening scene where 
you have this woman walking down the street, there's a camera snapping and photos during the day, and then at night she's murdered. So you can see that there was a a series of events that led to the killing, not just, you know, randomly just showing up and like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to moita people, you know? Yeah. That's what I feel like this one more was. So the police and him start getting calls, weird calls of a person whispering very evilly on the phone saying, you know, random things. I really wasn't paying attention to that part that much. Um... But it seems like the person that was doing the recording, they brought a recorder to their house and anytime this person called, they could make the recordings. And one of the police dudes shows up to the house and he's there. And it's the three of them. It's the girlfriend and the protagonist and this guy from the police station, you know, hanging out, talking about stuff. And while the dude is there, the protagonist and the girlfriend start having sex. Just, just get in bed and start getting touchy-feely. I don't think that was... I don't think that guy worked for the police. You think he was a friend? Yeah, I think he was the guy, one of the two guys that were at the beginning when they were at that, like, bird museum thing. When he went to, like, essentially, I think he was picking up the pay for his book. Oh. I think it was that guy. So it was one of his buddies. Okay, all right. I thought it was somebody that worked at the police station. No, I think it was his friend. And so that, it makes a little more sense but Hmm. not much not much sense at all but i mean they're in different part of the world maybe maybe that's just how it is it is very true um but yeah no they just had start having sex and the guy's like well i could stay but i'm gonna go and he's just staring at them as he leaves and i'm like ow well the most important part of this scene is that they're they're packing while this guy's yes, over. packing to, to move. And he mentions, oh, yeah, we recorded the the killer when he called us. And he kind of plays it for him. Hmm. And he's like, I wish we could figure out what that sound is. In the background, and yes. He, the friend is like, oh, it sounds very familiar, but I don't know what it could be. And when they start kind of getting into it and he takes off, he's like, I'm going to take the tape with me and I'll, uh, I'll see if I can figure it out. I'll bring it back. Yeah. Which becomes very important. Yes. Um, but he gets another call that says, um, meet me here, blah, blah, blah. And it, I, I put, dude, this is a trap. Why are you going? And he does. He falls into a trap. But I'm not sure if what kind of trap is because he doesn't get killed. But it's just he goes somewhere and... It was to lure him out of the apartment because the very next scene oh, is the he big attack. Going at, okay, so he lures him out of the apartment, um, and then the guy goes after his girlfriend. Yes, and oh no, no, he's not lured out of the apartment. He goes and finds the information for the original painter of the painting. Oh, that's right. So yes. instead of helping her pack, because this leads to the "I'm very angry with you," I'm going to throw a glass at the door, um, which I was like. Damn, girl. Yeah. Hell thrown on. Because in the middle of them, like, get going to get it on, he thinks he just gets this epiphany. Yeah, he's like, I need to find the painter. And she's like, we are trying to pack. What is wrong with you? You just lured him to have sex while you're trying to pack to leave a country. Like, don't sit here and act all innocent, little girl. Yeah. But that's neither here nor Um. So he travels north in Italy to find this painter. And he does. Guy's very eccentric. Very eccentric. Um, 
trigger warning, the dude tells the guy that he cages cats and feeds them to make them fat so he can eat them. I immediately looked at my girls and went, oh, kitties, as they're eating the shit out of each other right now. <laughs> um, so it was, it was just kind of like, at that point, the guy realizes that the food that he just ate was cat, and he gets super sick and runs out of the building, and the dude throws a painting at him. So I was like, what was the point of this scene? It was just to get him out of the way for the time being. Because at that point, he calls and says, oh, the trains are backed up. I'm going to be a little late. I will be getting home. It'll be a little while. She's like, okay, I'll see you when you get home. Everything seems fine. And then the killer goes after her. Yes. Which leads to some of the more beautiful scenes in the film, I believe. I had to laugh a little bit during this scene because... She goes at one point to call the police, or I believe she's going to go call the inspector. Yes. And she's di- she's in the middle of dialing, and then it cuts over to the killer's hands as he cuts the line yep. with, like, pliers. And the first thing that came to my mind was, he cut the hard line, it's a trap, get out! <laughs> this is not the Matrix. I know, but it was funny. <laughs> um... During this entire sequence, Julia loses her fucking shit. Holy shit. She is in complete hysterics. Yep. She's, like, destroying the apartment. (laughs) She's, like, trying to get out of it. Like, she's knocking stuff over because he cuts the lights and it's dark in there. She's trying to get out the window in the living room, like, living area. And she uses a candelabra to do it, but the candelabra gets stuck in the glass so she can't break it anymore. And it stays there for the rest of the movie. It stays there for the rest of the movie, and it is the original poster's background. Is it? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Because I'm like, oh, that's funny. Um, And then she goes to the bathroom and tries to escape out the bathroom window and there's bars on the bathroom window because the building is a very old they said it was an old structure used for something else and they're getting ready to tear it down they're the only ones living in this building anymore yeah and I was like wow and they only have it for like a like another week another or something week like that. or so and then they have to move out which I was like oh that's very clever that is very very clever yep <laughs> clever girl <laughs> um he, um, she is only saved by him finally coming home. He finally comes home and is like, Julia, Julia. We know her name. We don't know his name at all. I cannot remember this dude's fucking name. No, I tried to write down names as they were said, but I just never wrote his down for some reason. Yeah, I don't. And usually I remember all the time, but I don't. Um, so he gets there. He's like, you're okay. You're okay. Cut to the next Sam. one. Sam. His name is Sam. I don't remember his name being said at all. (laughs) Um, We cut to the next morning where she's asleep in the apartment and the candelabra is still stuck in the window. I would have thought maybe you should just take that down just in case, but whatever. It's fine. Fuck it. Um, They, uh, the friend shows up with the recording and says, oh, I figured out what that sound was. It is a very rare bird that's only found in Saudi Arabia. We good? Yeah. Uh, It's a very rare bird that's only found in Saudi Arabia. So the guy's like, okay, all right, maybe it's nothing. But there is one here in Italy, in the zoo, down the road. And the guy was like, fuck. So they go to the bird and see it to hear the bird. And they realize while they're there, he looks up 
and it is the apartment of the art gallery owner from the beginning. And he's like, oh my God, like, I remember hearing this noise. We gotta go. The inspectors show up. They all go up there. And it's the girl from the first, the first girl that was attacked in the beginning and the husband kind of fighting and wrestling and they get her away from him and they try to like stop him and he ends up falling out the window and dying. And he says, I confess to all the murders. I'm the one that killed everybody. She okay. tried to stop me. She tried to stop me. Yeah. I was like, okay, all right, that's, uh, that's fine. And all of a sudden, while this is going on, Julia goes missing. Both women go missing and you're like, what what happened? Julia and the other girl were just here. So Sam, uh-huh, we remember his name. Uh, Sam goes looking for Julia and he's trying to search everywhere. Julia, Julia, where are you? Where are you? And I don't necessarily understand where they went to. So people keep directing Sam. Like he keeps asking people, did you see this, this girl? And they're like, yeah, she went down this way. She went down this way. Hmm. And then one guy's like, oh, she went into this building. Yeah. So I don't know why they went so far away or how they she got, they got them there. Away, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't really understand that. They just kind of gloss over it. Yeah. Kind of like, oh, yeah, this happened. And you're like, how? And this is essentially building us to the big reveal yeah. of the movie. So the original guy that we thought, the other gallery owner is is dead he dies but julie is missing now and they're searching and they're trying to figure out what's going on so sam ends up in this apartment and he sees his friend there with a knife and julia is hiding can't find her and he's like what did you do with julia what did you do with well, julia we don't she's not hiding we see that she's tied up she's tied up like under something he can't find her he doesn't see her um because it's very dark in this apartment. Yes. Like, there's no lights. There's nothing. Uh, I think he tries some of the lights, and they're like, they don't work. They don't work. Um, so he's like, what did you do with Julia? Where's Julia? What's happening? What's going on? And then he falls down, and you realize there's a knife in his back. He's dead. And he's like, what the fuck? And then this person with hat and gloves comes out of the darkness, and it's the gallery owner's wife, the first woman. Her that name's was Monica. Monica. The woman that was attacked. And then that's when the guy sits there and goes, that's what I missed. He wasn't trying to kill you. You were trying to kill him and he got the knife away from you. He protected you by saying that he killed all those people. Oh, my God. Like, his the revelation on this guy's face was like, oh, fuck. And, then, and he's like, oh, what did you do with Julia? Where's Julia? And obviously we know as an audience where Julia is and she runs away and he goes after her. Yeah, and this chase actually kind of reveals to us that this building that they're in is actually the back of the art gallery. Yes. Because they spill out into that main art room, and she drops this big-ass art piece that we see earlier in the movie on top of him. Kind of reminds me of something that should be out of Hellraiser. Yeah, it's like covered. It's got like spikes, spikes coming off of it and, and shit. like vines or tentacles like woven into they, it. They it's, call it a piece of cosmic art. Yes, which I was like... When they said that, I went, oh, oh, Sean, can we have that in the house? We need that in the house. <laughs> um, she flings it onto him and he's trapped. He can't. He's he's fucked. Um, it was the police following him that found Julia. That was like, he went that way. He went that way. That pretty much saved him because they got her. They shot her or they stabbed her. 
or they caught her. They just, so she was standing over him, getting ready to stab him, and they, like, just came up behind her and, like, choked hold and grabbed okay, her. Yep, okay, and Pulled her off. Of I wasn't him. sure if they, if they used violence or anything. No, it was just, like, a standard snatch and grab. <laughs> snatch. But, yep, and then movie pretty much ends right there. Yeah, we actually see that we get like a scene that's very reminiscent of Psycho, like the end of Psycho, essentially, where they're like kind of explaining the killer's motives. Yeah. But that's intercut with Sam and Julia flying home. Getting on a flight, getting out of Italy, yeah. Uh, it kind of, it brings a conclusion. Yeah. I was very happy with that because lately the movies have just fucking cold ended and it drives me crazy. (laughs) This one wraps up pretty nicely. It's like, oh, they went back to America and I bet the next thing they said was, well, we're never going back to Italy again. (laughs) I mean, I would. I mean, yeah, you would. I wouldn't. Because I'm fucking crazy. You are insane, buddy. Insane. So that is crystal plumage bird with the crystal plumage the bird with the crystal plumage a dario argento film (laughs) from 1970 does that mean we shift into wrap-up questions yeah i think that's a good idea all right overall thoughts on the film i like this one it uh in the beginning i was like well this isn't as cool as Vesperia, but it's his first movie so i can see where the influences for his later films came from and i like this one i do i agree like you, you can't really equate it to something like Susperia because no. he shifted into a very fairy tale-esque t- storytelling style yeah later on and this one is a much more straightforward giallo film. Yes. Like it's very cookie cutter in a lot of ways. If you look if you've seen a lot of these, this is very standard. Yeah. But I think visually this one stands apart from most of, like things like pieces and uh even Death Carries a Cane. Yeah. Like this one really stands out in in terms of its color and like just the the way he places the camera like he frames shots it it looks really fucking good yeah i very much enjoyed it as i do all of his films did you have any favorites right bring in the perverts (laughs) that was my favorite line um i really i really liked the color and the visuals i do with any of these giallo type films just no no other reasoning behind like this is a visual masterpiece you gotta watch this one to experience it the plot is very cut and dry there's no big surprises no crazy things with the plot but it is a very visually beautiful novel that's where i i really liked i definitely agree with that i didn't have any favorite lines specifically my favorite scene i think was the the bedroom kill because it mostly because it's a very that is a the pinnacle like very mostly because that is like the pinnacle of a giallo scene like it is very standard it's encompasses a lot of what you see in giallo films Mm. that scene is like the perfect representation of it and it's just visually well shot yeah like that one just that one framed shot of 
the killer's hand over her mouth and her looking up at him in terror. That is Giallo. Yes. And it's awesome. Like it, it just looks really good. Close second would probably be the stairwell kill with the razor. That was but, one hell of a kill. Yeah. Does it work? Yeah. This is a beautiful movie. This is a great movie. Um, this is a great start to any <clears throat> Giallo films. Honestly, I sort of wish I saw this one before the other two. Because I think the other two's impact would have been even stronger. And I would have probably liked this one more. Um, my opinion still stands. It's not as good as the other ones. But this was also one of his first. So, of course, from this, you can only get better. So. Oh, and just wait until we get into some of his other ones. I can't believe, like... Sus- the Beyond was my first experience. Susperia, when we watched that, I was sucking that. And we're going to do Susperia on the podcast. I just think it's going to be a later. We're going to save it. We're, whoa, whoa, we're saving. We are trying so hard to save really good ones. Really interesting, really fucked up, really like grindhouse movies. We're only picking from little 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 picks right now. I think we're also trying to at least I am. I, I think we're trying to transition what we're watching into a more into real grindhouse movies yeah. rather than just anything within the our parameters. We're always going to do like, oh, let's just do a 90s movie or something like that just for fun. Yep. But I think I really do want to focus us more on actual grindhouse type movies. Agreed. Would you recommend Bird with Crystal Plumage? I would. I would recommend it to people who really want to see older movies. I mean, this, like I said, this is a 50 year old movie. You know, I, in my mind, because I'm a child of like the 80s and 90s, I still think the 70s were 30 years ago. But I think everybody in our generation goes, oh, I'm still young. That was only 30 years ago. No, it was 52 years ago. Like, And this shows, like, you can have signs of the times and still be an incredible film. So, yes, I recommend this to anybody. Maybe not if you're under 17, but I recommend this to everybody. I can definitely get down with that. Because I didn't answer the last one myself, I do think this works. I think this works in a visual way. Mm-hmm. I think it works in a storytelling way. I The plot actually does keep you interested. Like, you don't yeah. specifically know who the killer's gonna be. Like, by basic plot, it's not an incredible mindfuck. It is a basic plot, but it's still a good plot. Agreed. And yes, I would recommend this. I recommend this to really anyone. Like, if you are like a good murder mystery if you like a good slasher if you like a good horror film mm. crime film you're gonna like this like yeah. it, I think the only thing that would throw people off is the fact that it is a foreign film and a lot of people don't like foreign films I don't know why but they just don't Crazy. they are and I personally think that more people should see this if, you, if they haven't it is a really, really good, very solid movie. Very good, solid movie, yes. How would you make this today? I wouldn't. I believe, with the exception of the new Suspiria, but we have not seen the new Suspiria, no. leave Argento films in the past. 
they are they are giallo films for a reason i like where they are this story this type of plot has been done many times it's the visual experience that you're there for you're not there for the acting you're not there for the plot you're there for the visual experience it is a very artsy very like mind-bending visual experience i would not do this today I also don't think this should be done again. I think that Argento films should be left alone. Whoever you are out there, you will never be able to do Argento's film better than Argento. Unless you are Argento and that man is 81 years old and I don't think he should touch his own films. I don't even think Argento could redo himself. No, he can't (laughs) because you can't redo a 70s Argento film. Like... Those these movies are a cap like a time capsule. They they are what they are. They were they encompass what they had at the time and they're beautiful. However, that being said, as we're sitting here talking, I did develop something that I think would be cool in my head. Oh god. If someone were to try and redo some of this, I think the only way that I would accept it is if it were a series okay where each season was one of his films stretched out into a season long story because I think his movies have enough meat where you could do that yeah so like if you think about it where like season one would be Bird with a Crystal Plumage and that would be your whole season is that story and you'd have to still do it in a very Argento-type style with mm. bright color, great lighting, and all that. And then, like, later down the line, you do a season on Suspiria. You do a season on... Cat of Nine Tales. Cat of Nine Tales. Like, yep. and you just do all of... Like, that would be the only way I'd accept it, because it would be a different way of viewing it. Mm-hmm. And I'd get to see the story expanded on. That's yeah. it. And even then, I probably wouldn't be happy with it because it's not Argento. But I would, I would be okay with it. What about if you? Oh God, I don't know. I don't know. Like that would have to be a like in the moment decision. Like somebody would have to come to me and be like, "Hey, I want you to remake Bird with a Crystal Plumage," and I would have to, in that moment, see how I felt about that. Like. Oh, this is a lot of pressure. And even then, I feel like I'd be like, do you mind if I take a couple of days and think about it? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's that's a big undertaking. Like, you're essentially, you'd be asking me to step into the shoes of a filmmaker that I I look up to, that I, I'm so influenced by. That's, that's a big ask. It's a big deal. So is this mainstream exploitation or other? Other. This is other. I got this off the Grindhouse website. I did. But I really think because Giallo is its own big genre, big deal. It could be Grindhouse, but I'm going with other. What about you? I inherently chalk most Giallo under the exploitation umbrella. Mm. I think Giallo in and of itself is... It focuses so much on the violence and the sexual overtones, undertones, and that like obsessive nature 
that I, I don't know. I think inherently it's ex, it's exploitative. Mm. I think that inherently it's exploitative. I think it just it's always going to be exploitation to me. Okay. No matter how well it's done. That's just my opinion. Most people probably wouldn't agree with it. But I guess that brings our discussion on Bird with a Crystal Plumage to an end. Close the door. But don't go anywhere just yet. Stay tuned for the coming attractions. excited I am to watch this with you. I am so happy that I got this for you for Christmas last year. Like, we had planned not really to do Christmas last year, but at the last minute I went, fuck it, I'm gonna do it. And this was one of the things I had to get you. Because a couple years ago, you went with your friend Brandon to Wolfman's Got Nards, which is the documentary of this. And you had the signed poster up in the apartment for the longest time. Yeah, we we drove out to Salem Horror Fest for one day just to see the premiere, the East Coast premiere of this documentary because it was. 
a big deal. The Monster Squad, which is what we're watching next week, yep. is a movie that both me and Brandon grew up watching. It's Brandon's favorite movie of all time. So, Brundo, if you're listening to this, this one's for you, buddy. Ooh, Brundo! Uh, so we drove out there to see this documentary, and it was also a meet and greet with the director of the documentary and star of Monster Squad, Andre Gower. Oh, damn. And it was an awesome experience. We got to watch the documentary, listen to their Q&A, and then we got to meet him after. And he was a wicked nice dude. Uh, got to talk to him for a little bit. It was, it was really cool. And just the whole experience of it was amazing. And this this was a movie that, like, it's one of those movies that I can always go back and watch. It's like when we talked about Night of the Creeps. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's on that level of, of Night of the Creeps where it's oh, wow. very, it's a little bit fun. It's a little bit, like, raunchy. It's a little bit over the top. But it's amazing. It's directed by Fred Decker, who's like, I feel, is one of the most underrated filmmakers ever. Didn't you say that he was shocked to find this was a cult classic now? Yeah, and we'll get into that story a little bit when we... It was very intriguing when you told me that story because it makes you realize how a success or a failure of a film can really shape a director... And what loyalty for fans can of fans can really do for you. Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of films that both you and I, they're cult classics for us. Like, other people will be like, oh, I hate it. Resident Evil is for me. You are not a Resident Evil fan. I like it. I like the campiness. I like it. It was really one of the first horror movies that I ever sat down alone and watched. That event horizon like we got a free week for hbo and i went fucking ham that week and i just watched horror because in my house my mom didn't like horror my mom doesn't like halloween so we didn't do a lot of that it was a lot of disney channel halloween and nickelodeon halloween stuff so watching real horror was like a big deal and when you were telling me a lot of the facts about this one like a while ago i had never heard of this movie ever and from what I've seen of packaging and little things, this is a classic monster movie. In a lot of ways, yeah. Why have I never heard of this? Why, when we were growing up, were we never told about this? It's extremely underrated. Which I'm excited to see this because, one, I am a Halloween girl through and through, 100%. I love classic monsters. I love all of that. So I'm dying to see this. And we waited specifically because we'd already started recording the podcast when Christmas had happened. We specifically saved this for this. And is this... This isn't the start of uh, Halloween for us, is it? This is the start of Halloween this for us. This is the start of Halloween. Yeah, this is this next episode is going to be the start of our Halloween run. Our October Halloween run, which we made it a point to select films that either have Halloween themes or were Halloween kind of movies. And I'd like to make note that this is not specific. Technically, Monster Squad is not a Halloween movie. But it's widely regarded as one yeah. because of what it encompasses. 
but I'm very excited to talk about this. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting very excited. But that's going to bring this episode to an end. If you want to keep up on everything that we're doing, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grindhouse Cast. You can find us on Discord, where you can chat with Leah, talk okay. to her about whatever the hell you want, preferably movies or coffee. We can talk about anything. Don't you worry. <laughs> All the links for everything are going to be down in the show notes. Listen to us. Give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your morning fix. New episodes come out first thing every Monday morning. If you like what we're doing and you want to show the show some support, you can find all that information down below as well. Until next week, I'm Sean. I'm Leah. Thanks for listening and keep watching. Bye now. Bye. Bye-bye.